Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, and I'm sure he just sold his entire music catalog to Universal. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> you got to own something before you can sell it. <laughs> Those deals Listen, are pretty crazy. Daddy, I was going to text you a couple of minutes ago being like, if you don't get into this Zoom, I'm holding out. <laughs> I'm going to a little baby's birthday. I'm holding out of the tune-up until you, you trade me. I wonder. Podcast network. Oh, man. I wonder how that would work, like, in terms of, like, you know, like, some of these bands, like, with, like, Bon Jovi, like, Richie Sambora has some of the rights, and then Bon Jovi has some of the rights, so who's ever buying, buying it is, like, getting, like, half? Nah, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of, like, backroom agreements, and, and just because somebody's getting paid on something doesn't mean they have the controlling stake or the say on it. Right. So, you know, if... Sambora or something owns a portion of Bon Jovi's publishing. I think the power to like buy and sell it would probably be out of his hands. Right. He would just probably be guaranteed money on the sale or whatever the mm. you know the things upcoming are. Yeah. But All I'm right. still gonna hold out. I'm going to Las <laughs> Vegas without a mask. Oh. <laughs> and I'm gonna party at the clubs, go on my Instagram. What's up with Harden? This got real. Before last week, last week we got on here and I'm like, I don't think the Harden thing's gonna happen. I think it's smoke. I think the media's creating it. And I've landed on the fact that yes, the media created the fact that the Brooklyn deal is is uh, you know, gonna be happening. And that Brooklyn, you know, has the pieces to make an equal trade. But now, I don't know where he's going, but, yeah. but he's probably going. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we just stepped on a bunch of the show. We'll get into it. But first, let's warm up with a little This Day in Music History. All right, Benny. What do you got today? All right. On this day in 1963, a mere two weeks after the John F. Kennedy assassination, crazy time in America, Frank Sinatra Jr., the only son of Frank Sr. of the Rat Pack, then 19, was kidnapped while he was sitting in his underwear eating chicken in a Lake Tahoe hotel. <laughs> so in his underwear eating chicken in a hotel, uh, our armed gunmen came in, took him for 54, excuse, yeah, 54 hours, uh, and drove him around California waiting for a $240,000 payout from dad, from Frank <laughs> Sr. This is a crazy story. I never knew it happened. Imagine these days if, like, the most famous singer in America uh, got kidnapped for over two days or <laughs> right. their, their kids got kidnapped for two days. Imagine the media and the, the explosion that would happen. It'd I be guess crazy. What happened to Kim Kardashian is probably the closest thing to this. Yeah. That was a pretty scary story. But... The, the ringleader of this heist was a 23-year-old alcoholic Catholic who actually went to school with Nancy Sinatra, Frank Jr.'s older sister. And he had explained to himself and convinced himself that the kidnapping was an act of goodwill that would bring the estranged Sinatra family back together <laughs> and also foster a ransom that could save his own family from financial ruin. So this crazy bastard... <laughs> thought this was a win-win for everyone, you know? <laughs> and this is a quote he said in his trial. He said, I, I quote, I decided upon Junior because Frank Sr. was tough. And I had friends whose parents were in show business. And I knew Frank always got his way. 
So it wouldn't be morally wrong to put him through a few hours of grief worrying about his son. <laughs> <laughs> so he said basically that Frank Sinatra is so tough that uh, that he could take it, you know. <laughs> and and apparently he was considering uh, kidnapping Bob Hope's kid. But thought Bob Hope was like too gentle and couldn't get over it. It was really strange. So eventually they had a strange exchange at a gas station. And after a little more than two days, uh, monitored by the FBI, they got paid and Frank Jr. came back holding a very strange press conference in front of his mom's house. Um, but there was a very interesting culmination to all this. The, the men who kidnapped him were quickly caught, they were charged in a four week trial. But Sinatra Jr. strangely admitted on the stand that he hoped that they would get away with it. And the ringleader, Barry Keenan, ended up only serving four and a half years of a 12-year sentence and eventually made millions in real estate living in Texas, but having a farm in Mississippi and an apartment in L.A. So I guess crime does pay. <laughs> well, speaking of paying with this whole thing, and I think that this is in an interesting footnote, Sinatra, in order to communicate with the kidnappers via a payphone, the senior Sinatra carried a roll of dimes with him throughout this ordeal in his shoe, which I imagine is Whoa. incredibly uncomfortable. Wow. And apparently this was a huge thing with Sinatra carrying, you know, these dimes in his shoe that he was buried with dimes in his shoe. Wow. That's really what interesting. <laughs> so it was just like... You know, we've covered Sinatra in the past. And yeah. They said one of the reasons he was like so cool was the fact that he was like 18, 19 years old and had a car yeah. and was kind of like a cool dude already. Maybe he was really like a man of the streets, you know? <laughs> I mean, Hoboken was like, not having the a roll of dimes yeah. in your sock. <laughs> Makes your foot heavier for, for a stomp if you need to do one. Yeah. And then you can make a call anytime you need. <laughs> I kind of love that. So he was buried with a roll of dimes yeah. in his shoe, huh? In case anybody tried tr tried to mess with him. No, and that, and I imagine, I mean, Hoboken back then was not the place where you rolled down Washington Avenue and there wasn't a Panera on, on every corner. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, <laughs> Frank and his friends were having like iced mocha lattes. <laughs> no, but the no. so interesting thing when you talk about like him and, and, and his wife, right? She grew up in Jersey City right here and never went to Hoboken. Like up until yeah. like she was like 18, which is crazy. But I guess it was just an entirely different. There was no public transportation. It was so much harder. But that's just the life of Frank Sinatra, especially in this area, is very, very interesting. Yeah, it is. That's a strange function of like old New York and yeah. the old tri-state because my grandparents and stuff like that, when they were young, like they lived in Williamsburg. Yeah. And that's just where you were. Yeah. Your store was there. Your school was there. And unless you had some like specific business to go into Manhattan to like see the tree or like mm. something like that, there's really no reason. They just stayed where they were. Right, exactly. All right, Benny, let's get into our first headline of the day. Let's keep it music related from Sinatra to Bob Dylan here. And Benny, this past week, Bob Dylan has sold his full publishing catalog to Universal mm. Music Group for an estimated $300 million. A lot of Ooh. artists are doing this. I know it's a lot of cash. We touched on it earlier. 
Benny, the interesting thing about this, I just want to lay out some of the details here. This does not include any of his his, his live albums or recordings or his masters, which I, I think is key. So pretty much Universal is just getting the right to any future publishing in the streaming world. So, Benny, what do you make of, of, of this kind of deal? It seems to be a very commonplace thing where artists can sell their publishing, keep their masters, break this down for the people. Well, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me in like a number of ways. So right. I think what you said first off is the most important thing to distinguish, which is the difference in publishing and recorded royalties. Now, he does retain his recorded royalties in this deal, meaning that his record sales, the money off record sales, which honestly for Bob Dylan, even now is probably a fraction of the money he has coming in. Mm. But I think what that controls is like ownership of the art, yeah. ownership of the production, you know, ownership of the fact that somebody can't make like a blonde on blonde redux <laughs> reboot or something like that. Like that, it protects him from that. Yeah. So giving up your publishing is essentially giving up uh, what you said, streaming, um, which still at, at some point goes back to a mechanical royalty. It's more about selling it to films, selling it to advertisements. Yeah. You know, you may see like a, an Apple campaign soon using a number of Bob Dylan songs or something like that. Mm. And the thing with him is he's kind of been selling this stuff to that for a long time anyway. And an artist of his size you know, the songs are so embedded into the narrative and the fabric that just putting them out there and being like, you know what? I no longer control who uses it, when they use it, how they use it. It's just out there. Right. And you know what? I'll take over a quarter billion dollars <laughs> as an old man when I don't feel like making these fucking decisions anyway. Mm. So I think that's a big part of it to consider is like, imagine the amount of requests Bob Dylan gets for his publishing right now. Right. You know, imagine how many you have to sift through thousands, probably of these random requests, some real, some not real, you know, brokering the money, brokering how much can be used. Like there's a number of things to publishing that, that get annoying and the minutia of it is probably not being dealt by him anyway mm. at this point. You know what I mean? So so again, it's this sort of large world that's like all encompassing. And I could totally see, especially at his age, just being like, you know what? I fucking wash my hands of this shit. Yeah. Now, the second part of it, if you asked me this a long time ago, I used to be a lot more precious about it. But then I started to see this trend where commercials and movies and, you know, these little clips are basically pulling like a vanilla ice, hmm. taking your track, changing it like a note, changing the feel, changing something, and they're still using it. They're using it in its likeness, you know what I mean? And and instead of you getting paid, some like jingle writer at his house, hmm. you know, is taking the publishing check for your idea. All he's doing is basically, you know, making a cover of it and and selling it to someone <laughs> bigger. Yeah. So I, I even heard a Jack White quote a while ago where it's just like, you know what? Like, sell it, sell it, sell it. This isn't his quote, but <laughs> this is basically what he was saying yeah. was sell it because they're going to fucking take it anyway. <laughs> so if they're going to rape your catalog, 
and they're going to use you and they're going to do these things. Yeah. I can understand grabbing a $300 million check, holding on to my masters, which are precious to me mm-hmm. and letting that part of it go. It makes perfect sense. And, and, and it's not what happened to Taylor Swift. Right. You know, Taylor Swift lost her records. Yeah. She lost her actual album. She lost her songs, you know, like, and she actually kept her publishing. Um, <laughs> so this is the exact opposite oh. of what happened to Taylor Swift. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems savvy, and I have like zero issue with it at all. Since you know this better than me, do you think over the course of the rest of Bob Dylan's life that his publishing would gross $300 million? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It could. But I mean, but that's the thing. It, it could take 50 years. Yeah. You know, like when he's not going to be around. Mm. And that's where there is like serious value in his catalog <laughs> mm. i mean even to the point who was it that bought it was it warner brothers or universal <laughs> universal universal yeah. yeah so i mean this even opens up the avenue say in 20 years uh a pop star covers a bob dylan song and it becomes a massive hit mm. universal's getting the publishing on yeah. that you know what i mean so there is like a long play here that could pay out for them in like numerous different branches and Mm. ways so yeah i could it's kind of like a win-win it's like bob dylan's like i'm old i only have x amount of years on this earth i'll take this big fat check (laughs) i'll get rid of the drama and you guys do whatever the hell you want with my music that i have no control over anyway for the next 50 years you know I guess this means at the end of every nbc drama where things get emotional you're gonna hear the the weight Till the end of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing is like, you know, you that's the reason Universal paid $300 million right. is its value. Yeah. So it's like you're still not going to hear it there because that show can't offer enough money. <laughs> they can't offer more money than Apple's going to offer right. for some crazy Christmas ad campaign or something like that. Mm. So that's why it has so much value. You know who gets put at the end of NBC shows was Gaslighting. <laughs> like, that's the publishing that we got. was like, hey, I heard you guys at the end of Chuck. Did you make a lot of money on that? No. No, we didn't. Well, from music to television and movies, Benny, this past week, it was announced that Warner Brothers has taken their entire 17-movie slate, and it's moving it over to HBO Max. But it, it's still getting a cinematic release, but, you know, with, with how uncertain things are... Uh, the the movies will be put on HBO Max for 31 days right after their in- initial release. This includes some of the most anticipated uh, movies of, of next year. Matrix yeah. 4, Space Jam, we'll get in- into that. Uh, <laughs> Dune, a whole bunch of others. Uh, so the entire Dune. Time Warner catalog going cinematic release and HBO Max. Benny, this is a tough position for the movie theaters. I know we're not in the position on this podcast to feel sorry for these entities that have really, honestly, the entire, the entire con. Like, if you were to tell someone the idea of, of a movie theater, be like, "All right, they don't own the property; they're just kind of like the concert venue." That doesn't sound like a very sustainable business model, and this pandemic has proven that. So, Benny, what yeah. do you make of the future of movie theaters after deals like this? where these places are kind of taking their big movies and being like, we're going to release it ourselves. Yeah, we're done. I mean, well, first, I don't feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for me. I feel sorry <laughs> for my kids. Yeah. Like, like going to the movies was a huge, yeah. I can't even stress enough, a huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and to the point when it was just like me and my mom, we were going to the movies like once a week, we got to the point we'd go to quick check and get subs, put them in her purse and then hit the movies. You know what I mean? We were fucking pros. (laughs) So like, I miss that experience. I was even saying to my wife the other day, like I miss going to the movies. Yeah. I miss that classic movie theater experience, but I, I don't feel bad for a giant business when their business model starts to move. Like that's just. You know what? Like you want to be fucking cutthroat business people. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. This is fucking business for you. Sorry. But I mean, can you think of a worse possible place <laughs> for the disease we're dealing with? No. I you mean, know, I mean, they're in like a uniquely horrible situation yeah. like music venues where like just continuous indoor recycled air ass to ass with perfect strangers (laughs) in just a tiny room for like two to three hours i mean it's literally like uh a petri dish in there it's it's the worst place you could do so i think the you know the houses are smart that you know whatever they failed with um that christopher nolan movie they kind of made that attempt with uh what is it tenant tenant yeah and it you know totally bombed nobody wants to go and you know, I think these companies are smart in the way that they're not feeding bullshit like politicians are. They're like, you know what? <laughs> People are not going to feel comfortable doing this mm. until they're widely vaccinated. Yeah. Until this thing is like, this is the last thing that's going to come <laughs> back. Mm. So because it's unnecessary and dangerous. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think they're smart in making this pivot right now, but it's important to note that it's not going to be like a uh, chunk of time pivot. Like Mm. this is just the pivot now. And all those things we talked about even like weeks ago about how movie theaters could survive. Oh, you give them an IPA and mozzarella Hmm. sticks and make it a whole experience. (laughs) Then maybe they'll stay. I don't know. I'm starting to think they won't. But Denny. Yes. You know, I'm a positive guy. Yes. So I offer you a solution. Uh, Okay. Yes. I tell this to my kids all the time. We say, (laughs) hey, think in solutions. You know what I mean? Don't bog down with your problem. So this is the solution. You don't be like record labels who tried to sue Napster (laughs) and sue little kids stealing music and ended up getting eaten by Spotify and eaten by streaming. And it took them like 20 years to recover. This is what you do. Your AMC, you call Best Buy. Say, what's up, Best Buy? Here's our AMC theater-style television that can only play certain movies. You put a surround sound element to it, and you and you sell it as this. Like, here's the movies at home, blah, blah, blah. And, and you make a pitch with Best Buy, and there you go. Now AMC is surviving in a different market, and all of a sudden they own the home theater market. So you got to think ahead here. So you want them to pivot to selling <laughs> TVs like Toshiba? Yeah. Yeah. You call Toshiba. You go, listen, AMC, we're a name. Okay. Yeah. When you think of AMC, you think of going to the movies, you think of giant things of popcorn. You think of the movie experience. So use our name. We combine and we make theater style television that you can buy at Best Buy and maybe even, you know, be dicks about it. (laughs) Oh, uh, you can only watch Warner Brothers movies on this fucking TV, this smart TV or something like that, which it's going to happen anyway with all these services. So 
I think there's a way for them to move ahead and think in solutions. Today. Honestly, with the way private equity is involved in all of this, I mean, Kodak is making pharmaceuticals now. Nothing would surprise me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, I was even talking to a friend last night who, wait, let me get this right to make sure. I don't want to blow up his business too much. <laughs> but he told me that, oh, yeah, so a company who makes ovens for dental offices... <laughs> ovens yeah you know for like dental molds oh, they can you. make yeah, ovens yeah. that do pre precision heat are pivoting because of that to make money in covid hmm. and use all their ovens to like do these uh systems that can de decontaminate masks wow so this company has a ton of fucking ovens and now they're trying to do that this is just this is just what happens yeah. man it's just business but you know I will say, you guys, from... you guys, this is what I said. I stand by <laughs> it. You want to be fucking snakes. You want to go bottom line thinking where people are out of it and this and that. Fuck you when you fail. Seriously. Sorry. I will say just from the movie watching perspective, I watched that uh, uh, new David Finch movie, Mank, this past weekend about, uh, you know, yeah. the writing of Citizen Kane. That needed to be a movie theater experience. It was not right. the same on, on your laptop. That's probably going to be an, mm. an Oscar movie this year, quality movie. But the entire time I'm thinking, this deserves way more of, of, of a scale than just my, my what, like 12-inch laptop? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, maybe my nostalgia is, is as strong as other people's nostalgia. And once it opens, people start going back. Yeah. I hope so. And you know? it's going to be interesting to see what this Make does. Make America go to the movies oh, again. Oh, gosh. Here we go. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it's going to be de definitely interesting to see what this is during during Oscar season because we're getting into when all of the movies up for that come out. So a lot of good ones. Hope people get to see it because that's really what happens in, in this thing. When, when content becomes harder to see and you have to pay for more of it, uh, you know, the person that would pay 12 bucks to, to go to, to the movie or, you know, maybe even 30 to, to take the family doesn't exactly get to see it because they're already paying for like five different streaming services. Yeah. Danny. Yeah. Did you know that the Community Food Bank of New Jersey needs our help this year? Hmm. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they're on track to distribute food for over 80 million meals this year 66 million meals last year 80 million meals this year uh every ten dollars you donate to the community food bank in new jersey provides 30 nutritious meals only ten dollars provides 30 nutritious wow. meals enough to feed your neighbor and enough to feed them for a full day we have a donation link it's cfbnj.org backslash the tune-up 2020 you can go there give anything you can and uh, these people are professionals, and they know how to stretch this money farther than you do. So give them a couple bucks, and they know how to, how to make the best of it. Denny, are you going to give this year? Oh, of course. Benny, like you said, these people have been doing this for 45 years. That's incredible. That's quite the career. That's almost as long as Tom Brady's been playing football. <laughs> and 22% of everything that they give out is fresh produce. So just unbelievable. It's healthy. It's helping people. What else could you do this holiday season? Especially today, it's Giving Tuesday. Happy holiday to everybody. Go to the link below, cfbnj.org slash thetuneup2020 and help some people out. Yeah, skip, skip out on Tuesday night's night uh, White Claws <laughs> and, and give us the money, okay? 
All right, Benny, second half of the podcast here. And LeBron was was feeling some kind of way this week. He was talking to the people. He had shots for Kyrie. He had shots at the Clippers. But, Benny, let's get into the Kyrie thing first because Kyrie Irving this past week was all over the place talking about how he's not going to talk to the media, which technically he's not allowed to do. He only, <laughs> right. By contract, he, he has to talk to the media. But yeah. the LeBron James-Kyrie Irving feud got another log on that fire. Here's what LeBron James had to say on Kyrie Irving and his comments this past summer regarding him. So when I heard the comment that Kyrie made, I, I wanted to, one, not only find the whole transcript, but also call my people, yeah. send me the whole transcript. And um, and I heard he had did it on Katie's podcast, and um, I was a I was a little I was a little like like damn. Yeah. Once I got the whole transcript, I was like damn. You know, I wasn't like, oh you tripping? I've hit yeah, game winning yeah. shots all my yeah, whole yeah. life. I was not like that. I was like damn because um, you you were there for a couple seasons. I, I mean, I played with Kyrie for three seasons the whole time while I was there. Um, I only wanted to see him be an MVP of our league. I only cared about his success. And and, and, um, and it just didn't align. Yeah. It, it just didn't align. And we was able to win a championship. Yeah. That's the craziest thing. We were still able to win a championship and, and we could never align, but I only cared about his well-being, both both on and off the floor. Did. And, and it, and it kind of like, it, it kind of hurt me a little bit. A lot to break down there. But first and foremost, I lo- okay, I love how the tables have turned here. For the longest time, Ky- Kyrie was like, oh, I'm just a rookie. I'm the young guy, blah, 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 blah. Like, I hit the shot. Ky- Kyrie, you have been floating on this shot for far too long. One shot and you get to be a prima donna? I don't think so. LeBron's put in the body of work. LeBron James is absolutely right here. Kyrie has no leg to stand on here. LeBron James, four-time champion, about to be five. And quite frankly, I don't understand wh- why Kyrie keeps coming at LeBron. I mean, yes, probably the way he talked down to him in in Cleveland, but that's what that's what vets do to rookies all the time. And Kyrie was a young guy when they were together in in Cleveland, so for him to still be holding on to that, come on, man, get past it. I mean, so here's what I I'm in the position again, Denny, where I have to try to get inside of Kyrie Irving's mind, okay? Which is a dangerous place. It's like a laser tag arena, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy in there because there's so many good things and there's so many bad things. But the the only logic I could see from him making the comments about the last shot was like, KD, I'm all in here. Like, to me, that was like his tip of the hat, his ode to KD, being like, you know what? This is us now. This is us doing it. Like, and and I give all of it to you. Forget the past. Like, I'm all in here. You're the man. Let's do this. So I, I get the logic, okay? Mm-hmm. But as usual with Kyrie, something gets lost from like A to F. Yeah. You know what I mean? He forgets to like fill you in on B, C, D, and E. And you're just left to jump to conclusions. And this is the thing that kind of infuriates me about him. And it's getting a little harder to come to bat for him is that like he complains about the media so often while feeding the media, you know, like if you don't like it and I get not liking it, like the media stuff is crazy. I follow NBA media 
as close as anyone. And it's insanity. It's like the biggest stupid soap opera around and people love rumors. They love rumors and transactions more than they love basketball. That's it's like true. some strange thing about the NBA. But you have to get your shit together here at some point and either be Kawhi Leonard and say nothing, mm. which is fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe this is Kawhi. This is why he doesn't talk. <laughs> Maybe he did like an interview in high school and he's just like, no, <laughs> like this doesn't work out yeah. for people like me. I'm just going to be quiet now because I mean, it's been a consistent pattern from the second year in Boston all the way until now of just this like feeding the media the bait, let them go on a run. And then like two days later, you call them crazy. You know, I think he's a little crazy at this point. And I used to think that he was like kind of functionally fucking with people. That was like my goal. I'm like, Kyrie's a smart guy. Mm. I'm like, he doesn't believe the earth is flat. He's just <laughs> fucking with the media. Yeah. He's just fucking with people. He's having some fun, doing some trolling. And I don't think that anymore. <laughs> and and honestly, I felt like the thing about LeBron is like he's he's not only has a um uh, uh, a body of work on the court. He has a body of work off the court. He has like a sterling reputation. And there's like all these people who will say that like LeBron was looking out for you. And LeBron, like, I do believe him when he says he had like Kyrie's best interest in mind. Mm. But here's the one thing I'll remind everybody about LeBron is smart. And there's a lot of people who have been on LeBron James teams that got discarded yeah. when they no longer helped him win. So even though like he makes this thing like, oh, we weren't aligned and somehow we made a championship, this is where I got to call LeBron on his shit a little bit. Like, if you weren't aligned and he wasn't making those shots, his ass would have been yeah. out of Cleveland yeah. for you to win a championship. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe you only put that kind of loyalty in people who have a vested interest in helping you win in in the regards to your teams yeah. you know um but yeah it was uh, the the idea that Kyrie could sit there and be like no that wasn't a shot at lebron i mean it's just insanity yeah. you know it's insanity so i don't know how this pans out um i mean i'm sure it'll fizzle away <laughs> soon yeah. i don't know if Kyrie's <laughs> going to react yeah and what the f he'll say i'm nervous though benny Let's do a little exercise here. All right. So pretend okay. to be, I don't know, okay. like a Sarah Kustak, like my guy, Michael Grady, and, and ask Great. me, Kyrie Irving, about my relationship with LeBron James. Okay. I'm Sarah Kustak. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. Sarah Kustak. Yeah. Okay. She's awesome. She's great. All right. So, Kyrie, in those years in Cleveland, did you ever feel like, you know, you looked up to LeBron. He was a big brother to you and, and tried to take care of you, as he said in, in, in the podcast. You know, LeBron's a great player, four-time champion, you know, multiple-time MVP, has really changed the way us players have been able to go about our business, uh, you know, and we won a championship together. You know, what I learned from him about how to win, how to do all, all that stuff, I look forward to bringing to the Brooklyn Nets this upcoming season as me and Katie try, try to get it done. That's all he needed to say. That's all he needed to say. And then, I, was, I was waiting. And? And nobody would have, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that Batted is all that Kyrie needed to say from the jump. And don't yeah. be anti-media because before social media and, and before the internet kind of, like, like hyper-activated the media, 
guys use the media to get contracts. I mean, there would be times yeah, where like right. like the great Boston Celtics, I mean, Bob Ryan got more people paid up in Boston than I think more agents do do today. He's like the it was like a Mark Bar- Bartlestein if Mark Bartlestein right, was a right, journalist. Right. So the the way that it's kind of changed is interesting. If you are a media darling, oh man, that can take like an an, an average player and extend the career. And and I have an example of this. I don't think Jared Dudley's career would have lasted as long if he wasn't such a media darling. So use it wisely, guys. It's a great tool for you. I know you, you have your own platform, but there's, you know, you can't put a price on, on, on genuine connection. And I think if you were to use a lot of these journalists more, I think you'd be better off. I mean, are we missing some the one thing with Kyrie, though, which is like... Every player like that thinks they're the best player on the court. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, from what I hear, I've never been a professional athlete, but you have to imagine you're the best player on the court, or at least you can be the best player on the court to play in a championship level. Yeah. To take that shot in 2016 and to have no doubt in your mind that it's going to go in. That's the only way you can take that shot. So, you know, so much of this is like... uh, Maybe it's like what what a great musician does where mm. they like sometimes will will alter their real life yeah. to get inspiration for playing. Yeah. And maybe in like that Michael Jordan sort of way where he like had to find a heel, mm. had to find an enemy, like yeah. even if the slightest person did anything to him, that was the thing he got to motivate him. And maybe Kyrie is just doing the same thing. Like maybe this is the mental gymnastics he has to go through to perform at that level. Um, yeah, but, it, you know, I, I'm getting to the point where I don't know how hmm. to even explain it anymore. Everybody yeah. knows what's happening. Everybody sees it. And I just pray to God this thing doesn't go <laughs> off the fucking rails this year. Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch. Sports, music, it's all about the delusion of greatness because that's the only way that that you can achieve great things you have to believe the dream and then the dream's gonna come true it's kind of like keep telling yourself the lie and eventually the lie becomes the reality and i think kyrie irving has bought into that a little bit too much now lebron wasn't done with this smoke by the way (laughs) benny he had more you know the clippers were talking a lot last year the clippers were talking all of the smoke and i think it's safe to say after LeBron James' uh, appearance on the Road Trippin' podcast that he heard it. Here is LeBron James on Road Trippin' about all of the noise that the Clippers had last year regarding their place in L.A. <laughs> all the sh- talking that they, were, that they doing. were doing all year, uh-huh. and, and exclude Paul and exclude Kawhi. Yeah. You know, you know, even exclude, like, you know, Trez and... I mean, obviously, we know who... Oh, now yeah, yeah, we know Trez. Trez might have said a little bit because he was a part of that crew. He like no disrespect to Trez, but he kind of like Tristan. He gonna follow. Yeah, he rolled. He rolled. He, he gonna yeah, roll. He rolled. Roll, yeah, exactly. Jesus talking. And that's Trez. why he loyal. Yeah, Tristan, yeah, he's a loyal guy. Tristan's a loyal guy. Like if he if he believe in you, he gonna rock with you. So, and and they put themselves in a position to get what they've been talking about all all year. And and I just couldn't I couldn't fathom the part or come to realization that they did not 
seek that opportunity when it was right there. Yeah, up 3-1, up, three up one. double digits every You know, and, and just seeing the team that they had, it was built for that, I, I believe. They was mm -hmm. coached for that, I believe. Obviously, they got our championship head coach on their yeah. bench and, and, and T. Lou. I just did not see them losing, just like everybody else in the basketball sports world. <laughs> All right, Benny. So LeBron James is out here on this victory tour. Quite Smoke. frankly, I love it. I love a, a good victory tour. This is Th fun. This is his red Arbag. Light the cigar and just let it burn the entire offseason. I love how he's taking credit for all of the Clippers' success with Ty Lue acting like he found Ty Lue and David Griffin had nothing to, to do with this. I love all of it because you know what? You've you've got your fourth championship. Now is the time to you know get ready for that other one. And the Clippers, yeah, they did a, a lot of talking. Pat Beverly, honestly, Pat Beverly got Got under LeBron James' skin. That's who he's talking about. That is about. exactly who he's talking that's, to. He's talking to one, maybe two, maybe Lou Williams. But that's it. Like, he, that's where LeBron's comments are so funny. Because as usual, he's always covering his bases. Yeah. You know what I mean? He managed to take out the two most important pieces of the Clippers. One of which is the biggest reason that they lost a series they were up 3-1, which is Paul George. Yeah. He's the biggest one responsible for what happened, yeah. and you exempt him from the conversation, <laughs> then went on to take Trez Harrell out of it. You're talking to Pat Beverly yeah. directly right now, like in his face, just being like, ha, ha. But I kind of love it because, I mean, that's what Beverly, like Pat Beverly is the type of guy at home who's probably like, you got it. You know yeah. what I mean? That's how shit talking works. Yeah. The real shit talkers know every once in a while you got had. And this time he got had. Now, the one thing, though, I got to backtrack here. Yeah. LeBron James can and should take some credit for Ty Lue's career. Come on. Oh, like, yeah. are you okay. going to say, like, this is just David Griffin? Like, he empowered oh. someone who would never get a head coaching job no. to get a head coaching I'm job there. and is I'm now there. a perennial head coach. But, you know, a high tide raises all boats. I, I, I understand that. But... Man, for as someone that, that is as, quote, selfless, that guy takes a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a dance. It's a dance, you know what I mean? You're dealing with, like, if you want to say LeBron, how could LeBron James even not have a gigantic ego at right. this point? exactly. You know what I mean? Even if you're the most giving person in the world, just to be him, you have to see yourself in kind of a strange way. Yeah. So, you know, like he can kind of say what he wants. He won the title. Yeah. He's he's kind of feeding. He's smart. He's feeding the L.A. L.A. matchups. Mm. Every time they play now is going to be headline fucking game. Can't miss basketball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi and Paul George are probably sitting there being <laughs> like, great. This is great. It's yeah. great for our whole thing. So he knows what he's doing as usual. And, and it's hilarious. Yeah. If the Clippers win a title now, he gets to take partial credit. Yeah. Because he, he installed the coach. If there was any hope in Los Angeles that, that by Clippers fans that this would become a Clipper town, they missed their window. They missed it 100% yeah. because not only do you, do you have the past of the Lakers, you have the Lakers retooling and arguably no, nobody's going to beat them this year. Like yeah. as as much as that pains me to say this, like I'm pretty sure that the seat, like like we already have an idea of who's gonna win the championship this season, and quite frankly, I like I, I know that Steve Ballmer, you know he's a great businessman and has been a really great owner for the Clippers, brought them back from the brink of 
almost extinction, had them in a position to win championships, but it's still a Laker town. It'll always be a Laker town. The one thing, you know, in other areas of business, you can, assets are disposable. And this is the first time in his career he's seen an asset that isn't disposable, that's standing in his way, and that he can't buy off, and that is LeBron James. (laughs) Now that's power, baby. (laughs) That's power. Well, Benny, by the time we do this pod next week, there's going to be actual basketball to talk about. Preseason gets underway. Uh, Lock in with us at the TuneUp HQ on Twitter and Instagram. We'll have you covered over there as we get back to basketball. Thank God, you know... Six six weeks, Benny. It's too much non-basketball. Dying. Dying. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. As I said, Twitter, Instagram, tune-up HQ. You know what to do. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Uh, today, 40 years since John Lennon was killed. Mm. Everybody, take his memory. Imagine some peace and love out there today. And in his honor, you can go to cfbnj.org slash the tune-up2020 and help donate meals. First week, we've already got 200, over 250 meals. You guys are doing a great job. Let's keep it rolling. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.